Taiwan's level 3 COVID alert has been extended to June 14th, as there are still no signs of infection slowing down. The pandemic alert was originally to end on May 28th. Let's hear from the Central Epidemic Command Center. Because the epidemic has not worsened rapidly, we want to emphasize that at present we have no plans to raise the pandemic alert. However, the positive rate at COVID test stations is still high, and in many cases we're seeing a long period of time between the onset of symptoms and a positive COVID test, or the release of the test report. So of course there is a possibility of hidden cases out there in the community. Of course, these hidden cases could infect their entire family. The CCC said that classes will stay suspended nationwide until June 14th. Minister of Education Pan Wenzhong has reiterated that parents may take leave to look after their children during this time. So Taiwan announced 281 local COVID cases and 261 backlog cases on Tuesday for a total domestic case count of 542. Infections were reported from Taidong County for the very first time since the pandemic began. New Taipei had the most new cases of any city or county, accounting for more than 50 percent of the total. Today, we have 281 local cases plus 261 cases from the backlog and two more imported cases for a total of 544 cases. With 154 cases, New Taipei accounted for the lion's share of Tuesday's 281 cases. It was followed by Taipei, which had 49 cases. As of Tuesday, the virus has spread to every city and county on Taiwan proper, even the final bastion of Taidong. The CECC said the trajectory of the epidemic will become clearer this week. What we're saying is that the trend will only gradually start to emerge starting this week. What we've seen so far is that there hasn't been a sudden deterioration. But what might be cause for worry is, what matters most is how soon we can detect the disease after the onset of symptoms, and how soon we can isolate the case after the detection of the disease. Another key factor is our medical capacity. These variables will have a huge impact. Looking at the latest figures, Taiwan's COVID case count rose sharply after May 14th, hitting a peak of 510 cases on May 17th. In just 11 days, there have been 4,126 cases. The good news is that the COVID curve has stayed flat. Officials say it's a sign the outbreak is not getting worse, but that more data is needed for a final determination. And for the third day in a row, officials reported six deaths from COVID-19. Among patients 60 and older, the rate of developing a severe case has risen to 20 percent. This is indeed something that we predicted at the outset of this COVID wave. It could be because of the mutations of this particular virus strain, or because the patients have chronic illnesses, or both factors could be having an influence. In related news, 410,000 more doses of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine are set to be ready for use on Friday. Without naming the brands, the CECC said that 2 million more vaccine doses will arrive in June and 10 million doses will arrive by the end of August. So far, some 310,000 people have been vaccinated in Taiwan. The central government says it will not allow COVID patients to share a hospital room. Previously, it required all COVID inpatients to be separated from one another as they're treated inside special hospital wards. But with hundreds of new cases diagnosed every day, hospitals have said they can't keep up with the demand for space.
With COVID cases surging, Greater Taipei Hospitals are buckling under the strain. During an inspection of three Taipei hospitals on Monday, Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe proposed a solution. At a time when medical resources are so tight, my view is that confirmed cases should not be situated one to a hospital room. This requirement is making it so we don't have enough wards to hold everyone. Since they are all positive cases, we should be able to situate them two to a room. One day after, the CECC responded favorably to the mayor's recommendation. With regard to the one-to-a-room requirement at Greater Taipei's special COVID wards, if this restriction is creating difficulties, the director of the Infection Disease Control Medical Network can make adjustments to patient care conditions based on need, urgency and the availability of medical resources. COVID patients who require long-term hemodialysis should be sent to Taipei City Hospital's Herping branch and the Songshan branch of the Tri-Service General Hospital. They will not have to be situated one-to-a-room. To facilitate the admission and treatment of patients, we ask local governments to exercise oversight over the hospitals in the jurisdictions to accelerate the turnover in COVID care wards. Hospitals with more than 500 beds must set up one-tenth of the beds for COVID care by this Friday. As for dedicated COVID intensive care units, every medical center and institution of a similar grade should have at least 20 ICU beds. Urgent care hospitals should have at least 10 ICU beds. As government officials move to contain COVID, they're also racing to stamp out fake news. On Tuesday, CECC official Chen Zongyan addressed circulating rumors one by one. The disinformation we've compiled today can all be traced to IPs from overseas. It appears that during this period, users with overseas IPs are attempting to influence Taiwan COVID strategies. Even stories meant to stoke panic have appeared, including one story that claims Taiwan's epidemic is so severe we're burning more than 100 corpses a day. It specifically states that Taiwan is better than India in that we have more cremators, and so we're able to burn more bodies every day. The story was introduced by a foreign IP, by an entity that used a relay server to interfere with us. The story contains phrases common in China, and there are characters in simplified Chinese. This is a case in point of the disinformation we're seeing. The official cited other instances of fake news, including a report that COVID vaccines contain mercury and aluminum and could cause autism. There's also been a fake Ministry of Education website. The URL ends with the domain .me and it contains fake announcements on class suspensions. And the World Health Assembly has once again decided not to discuss whether Taiwan should be allowed to participate. A motion on Taiwan's participation was left off the WHA's agenda on Monday in a decision made by the WHA's General Committee. Commenting on the decision, Nauru and Eswatini blasted Beijing for applying political pressure to block Taiwan. The 74th WHA opened virtually on May 24th. Ahead of the summit, 13 Taiwan allies had called on the WHA to invite Taiwan to participate as an observer. Politicians from the U.S., Japan and European nations openly expressed their support for Taiwan. But once again, Beijing was able to mobilize WHO member states to keep Taiwan outside the door. Prior to the opening of this conference, more than 150 nations expressed their support for China's decision via diplomatic channels. More than 80 countries wrote to the WHO to express their adherence to the One China policy. 
Reiterating the One China principle once again on Monday, China's WHA representative said Beijing had made appropriate arrangements for Taiwan's participation in global health affairs. The statement triggered an objection from Taiwan's allies. Nauru's health minister said that the UN's Resolution 2758 had nothing to do with Taiwan and should not preclude Taiwan's WHO participation. He said that political pressure from any one country should not be a reason for Taiwan's exclusion. The health minister of Eswatini said that Taiwan's WHA bid was a public health issue, not a political one. The world remains in a very dangerous situation. As of today, more cases have been reported so far this year than in the whole of 2020. What makes people angry is how the Secretariat of the General Assembly and China have, on the basis of the bogus One China principle, repeatedly blocked the 23.6 million Taiwanese people from participating in the WHO. The reality of the situation is that the WHO, which promises to leave no one behind, has left out the 23.6 million people of Taiwan. China's obstruction of Taiwan's WHA bid prompted anger on social media. A circulating meme shows the WHO's director general as a puppet on the lap of his ventriloquist, Xi Jinping. Another shows the director general blindfolded by a mask featuring the Chinese flag. Decrying Chinese influence, internet users took to the WHO's social media pages to accuse Beijing of blocking Taiwan's participation. Taiwan's envoy to Japan, Frank Shea, received U.S. Acting Ambassador Joseph Young at his residence on Monday. On social media, Shea wrote that he shared a meal with the ambassador as well as several Japanese officials. Shea said that they also exchanged views on issues including regional peace and prosperity. He said the meeting marked a new start for stronger trilateral cooperation between Taiwan, the U.S. and Japan. The U.S. ambassador also posted about the encounter on social media, writing that he'd had a productive conversation with Xie about their shared regional priorities. With Taiwan's COVID cases on the rise, pandemic insurance has soared in popularity. According to the government, nearly three million pandemic policies have been sold so far this year. But the Consumers Foundation warns the public to read the fine print carefully before they buy, because there could be exclusions that end up costing big bucks. With COVID cases rising, sales are sky high for pandemic insurance. The phone rings off the hook at this office. As of May 17th, 2.89 million COVID insurance policies have been sold this year, according to the Insurance Bureau. More than 500,000 of those policies were sold in the week between May 13th and 19th. But in the rush to get insured for a disaster, don't forget to read the fine print. The insurance policy might offer a payout for hospitalization and for isolation. But currently, hospitals in Taiwan are scaling back inpatient stays to prevent overcrowding, so that the hospital system won't collapse. So would an alternative accommodation arrangement count as hospitalization? The Consumers Foundation points out that, per CECC orders, hospitals are prioritizing severely ill COVID cases for inpatient care. Those with mild symptoms or none at all are likely to be housed in centralized quarantine facilities or in designated quarantine hotels. Whether such patients could file an insurance claim could become a future source of contention. 
For our survey, we randomly sampled the pandemic policies offered by four life insurance companies and four non-life insurance companies. For the most part, the policies offered by these eight companies permit claims only in the event of hospitalization, of treatment in a negative pressure isolation ward, or both. Fubon Insurance says it will revise its policies to accommodate cases who aren't admitted to a hospital due to overcrowding. Cathay Life Insurance and Shinkong Life Insurance say such cases may be eligible for claims if they have appropriate documentation from a hospital. The Consumers Foundation says people thinking of buying insurance should scrutinize the terms lest they miss out on a payout down the line. Let's go now to meet the COVID team in New Taipei City Fire Department. These are the firefighters who turn up to check on you if you think you may have the virus, and if necessary, they'll transport you to hospital. It's one of the most taxing frontline jobs of the pandemic. We heard from one of numerous firefighters who have decided to temporarily live apart from loved ones to reduce any risk of giving them the virus. The fire department now has a special pandemic division. These are the folk who arrived to check out a potential new case of COVID. They ask the potential patient basic questions and, if necessary, whisk them swiftly to the hospital. It might seem like a simple job, but the procedures to prepare for each one of these trips are much more onerous than you might imagine. To minimize the risk of the virus getting in, firefighters strap on layer after layer of PPE. Even the gaps are taped up tight. There's a special hairnet, an N95 grade mask covered by a surgical mask, three layers of gloves, shoes covers, and lastly, a visor. Wearing all that in this heat means getting very sweaty. When they meet potential patients who don't cooperate with the investigation, the work starts on another level. Actually, a lot of the time, the answer we get is, oh no, I haven't had any risky contacts, no. But I think we have to deal with these cases with the most skeptical attitude. When the person stops talking or tries to dodge questions or starts getting emotional, that's when the caseworkers have to be very careful. Perhaps there's something the person is really trying to avoid divulging. After a day's work, the team is totally exhausted, both physically and mentally. My family told me to shower before I come home and to keep my mask on at home too. Sometimes I suddenly feel my throat itching, or I feel like my nose is running, or I just feel a bit under the weather. And then I feel pretty awful mood-wise. I asked my wife and our kid to go and live with her folks for a while. This is not the only firefighter who's chosen to isolate from their family because of the work. They don't want any chance of passing the virus to their loved ones. It's a horrible choice to be faced with, but this is a job that needs to be done. These firefighters are used to putting themselves in harm's way, but they're praying this particular mission won't last long. So production of protective clothing has kicked into high gear. PPE manufacturers in Taiwan say they've seen a 20 to 30 percent spike in demand in the last five months. But insiders say there's no sign of a material shortage just yet. Machines roll constantly with various fabrics. Nearby, tailors with sewing machines are hard at work too. Hundreds of blue isolation gowns go through this sewing machine in a day. As COVID spreads, demand for protective clothing has gone through the roof. Originally, we could ship an order in about two weeks. 
Now, the orders are more urgent and everyone wants large quantities, so we have to try and get the products out within three days. But no matter how urgent, each batch of fabric must be tested first to make sure it's waterproof and won't leak. You have to put on dust-free clothing and go through cleaning just to stand by the production line. That's to preserve the integrity of the PPE, which is in great demand as COVID spreads. Domestic orders grew 20 to 30 percent in five months, and order fulfillment time shrunk from two weeks to three days. Disposable isolation gowns are the most popular and are almost sold out. It's grown a lot recently. It just exploded in Taiwan in the last few days, like hospitals wanting tens of thousands at once. When the demand for masks spiked last year, there was a big shortage of materials like unwoven cloth. Does this manufacturer see more bottlenecks ahead? That won't happen this year because in the last year or so, we've expanded production of everything we needed to. So no, it won't. We're also a material supplier and looking at our own sales, it's not changed much. So it looks like stocks will last a while, even if producers are working more intensely than ever. Taiwan's domestic COVID cases have risen sharply over the past few days, and level 3 pandemic restrictions are in place nationwide. Faced with a decline in food traffic, many restaurants are changing up their business model to survive. For Taipei City hotels, that means pivoting to produce luxurious lunchboxes for takeout or delivery. For most news reporter Stephanie Yang has the details. Wearing goggles and face masks, these hotel employees are fully armed and ready to sell takeout lunches. Under the influence of the pandemic, customers have slowed to a trickle at the hotel's restaurants. So now, the Sheraton is doing takeout. It feels safer. We can't eat inside anymore. It seems like we can only do takeout. I bought three lunches for my colleagues. My work was suspended in line with government guidelines. Cooking is troublesome, and I'm scared of eating out. I feel more confident in the hygiene of food at hotels. Besides takeout, Sheraton is also doing brisk business in food deliveries. Here, stacks of hot lunches go into plastic bags to be delivered. Before the COVID outbreak, the hotel sold 150 lunchboxes a day. Now, the figure has more than doubled. Due to the outbreak, we've seen changes in people's eating habits. They used to come into the restaurant to eat. Now they're choosing to stay at home or to come out to get these simple lunch boxes. The Howard Hotel is also selling bento boxes, dim sum and bread. The Regent Hotel has launched a five-star gourmet delivery service. A drive-through service is also available. We also have a drive-through service at our side door. This means that customers don't need to get out of their car. They can pick up their meal right at the counter. In addition, we can also ship gift boxes. Just give us the address. We provide a home delivery service for frozen foods. The most special thing is that we have our own delivery team. We don't need to go through other platforms. Since the start of this week, because we've launched a very complete takeout and delivery service, our takeout and delivery sales have grown by 30 to 40 percent. The Ambassador Hotel is also doing takeout, while Shangri-La's Far Eastern Plaza Hotel has launched Chef Selection's lunchboxes. Due to the pandemic, five-star hotels are getting creative to keep businesses going and to keep their patrons safe. For Muscle News, Stephanie Yang, Zhong Shuhui in Taipei. 
Well, it's been a hot week, and for frontline workers working in heavy protective gear, it's particularly tough. At least two fire department personnel have suffered from heat exhaustion after working in extreme conditions, including the driver of a fire department COVID van. But even after having to take break to uh, recover, they're willing to get back to service when they're needed. A firefighter lies in bed with an IV drip. He's been knocked out by heat exhaustion. This video moved viewers to donate cooling jackets to the fire department. This cooling jacket was donated to us by a kind-hearted citizen who appreciated that we go out to service firefighters in the hot weather. You can put two cold packs here, two at the top and two on the sides, so six in total. With this on, you immediately start cooling down. It's even better when you remember it's a gift from an appreciative neighbor. But it's not just firefighters who can do with encouragement. For the drivers who drive the fire department COVID vans, wearing full PPE on the road is a tough job. One driver has already suffered from heat stroke. But Zhao Yan told us how, as soon as he recovered from the episode, he volunteered to get back to work. When you're wearing the full PPE, it's a bit difficult to breathe. The company told me to take a couple days off. I said, no, it's fine. If you need me, I can keep working. My mom and wife both said, it's so dangerous. Don't do it. I said, the pandemic is really bad right now and they need drivers like us. That's the kind of selfless service frontline workers are showing all across the country. But while the work must go on, any way to cool the heat is a blessing. Taiwan received strong afternoon showers for a second consecutive day on Tuesday. Downpours were concentrated over the east coast as well as mountainous areas of central and southern Taiwan. Kaohsiung's Neiman district and, uh, had most of the rain accumulation, recording more than 80 millimeters. Pingdong and Jiayi also saw more than 20, uh, 60 millimeters of rain. Forecasters say more rain is due in the coming days. The next front will approach Taiwan on Sunday and its effects will begin manifesting on Monday. We expect that from Sunday to Monday, the western half and the northeast of Taiwan will get intermittent downpours and thunderstorms. Hualien and Taidong will also see localized showers and storms. Forecasters say they expect waves of rain starting Sunday as a new front drapes itself over the island. But it's not clear yet how much rain is in store for the drought-stricken south.